I just really like that tune. It just kind of gets inside of me. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. My name is Bill Walker. For those of you who may not know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, but my greatest claim to fame is being the husband of my wife, the father to my two children, and a newly minted grandfather. So today is really an awesome day for me all the way around. So excited to be a dad and a granddad at this time. I want to invite those who are dads or granddads or even great granddads to stand to your feet, please. I want to address you. Thank you. Stand up. Stand up. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. I just want to say this to you men and to myself as well, that our culture has chosen to minimize the role of a man in a family, but in the wisdom and in the plan of God, you sirs, you gentlemen are absolutely indispensable in your homes. And right now I want to encourage all the ladies to say praise God for you. Awesome. You may be seated. And if you got in a little late, we have a special gift for you that you may not have heard about. But we have for every dad in-house a pound of bacon for you to take home with you. We, we tried to think of the ultimate man gift, and we came up with bacon. How many men disagree with that? Oh, my gosh. That's a man gift if there ever was one. Well, I am pleased to say that in the providence of God, it just so happens that today, as we have been making our way through this series called Titus, we have been walking through various parts of this, and today we land on the Apostle Paul's instruction to Titus, a younger man, of how he is to address the younger men in ways that they are to live to honor God and live lives that are consistent with the Word of God so that the unbelieving community around can see who God really is. So today, we're going to focus in on Titus chapter 2, and we're going to focus in on one verse of Scripture in particular. And that verse of Scripture... Here we go. That verse of Scripture is found in chapter 2 and verse 6. We have talked to the older men a couple of weeks ago. We spoke to the older women likewise. Last week we dealt with the young women. Here we are. The, here we go. The young women. But today we're going to talk to the younger men. This is what Paul had to say to Titus. Hey, Titus. I want you to urge. That word literally means to come alongside them. He likewise was a younger man. He said, Titus, I want you to come alongside the younger man and urge them. The idea is, is to encourage by all means, but also to exhort them. The younger men he's talking about here would be any guy, any guy who would be about age 13 through 50. Now, in, in ancient cultures, there was always this passage, this rite of passage, that would declare a boy a man. The way it worked in, in the Hebrew society was they had this thing called bar mitzvah. And they still do them today. They have bat mitzvah girls, but bar mitzvah for boys. And at 13 years of age, there would be this elaborate ceremony 
where there was this putting of the Torah or the responsibility for obedience to the law upon a young man. So at 13 years of age, he would go through this bar mitzvah and out the other side of that, he was considered to now be a man. You have the responsibility of obedience before God. That's now on you. So in most older cultures, it was about 13 years of age all the way up through to 50. And that means it would be any guy who is growing into uh, manhood, uh, somebody who is single, somebody who may be married, might even be married and have kids at this point. So the point is, he has, he's here admonishing, come alongside them. I want you to urge, to plead, to encourage, to exhort the younger men, those 13 to 50, to be, what's the word? Uh, what's the word? One more time. Very good. Now, did you notice what he said to the older men? You ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of faith, love, and steadfastness. Do you see what he said to the older women? You ought to be reverent behavior, slanderers, not slanderers, slaves to much wine. He told the younger women a whole list of stuff. And yet for young men, there's only one word. But what a word it is. Young men, 13 to 50. I just made some of you older ones feel very young. You are to be self-controlled. If there were ever a time in a day and an age where we need to hear these words, it is the day in which we live. We live in a society gone wild. And yet, if you are to be a child of God, to honor God, you are to be different. You are to evidence self control. Let me pray for us, and then we will delve into the truth behind this word. Father, I thank you uh, for the privilege of honoring the Father today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Dad, Abba Father, you're awesome. Thank you for your love and your leadership in our lives. But also thank you for the dads who love you and are seeking to be an example to their sons and their daughters and to love their wives. Father, one of the greatest challenges a man has is to learn to control his passions and to control his emotions and urges. And I pray, Father, that you would speak big and loud to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name and the people of God said, amen, amen. So we're looking at this word called self-control. The word is actually a compound word. What that means is there's actually two words that make up this one word in the English. And here it is. It is the Greek word sophron, sophron, a compound word that combines so, and uh, actually the word to save or salvation is the word sozo, sozo. So it is the root word of being sound or being saved. And then you have this other word called fron, which means outlook or mind. So when you put the words together, self-controlled actually means a sound, saved mind and outlook. A sound, saved mind and outlook. What that means is as a child of God, we are to exercise self-restraint. It is the habitual inner self-government over one's passions 
and desires that ultimately channels them in healthy ways to ultimately be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy to read a definition like that, but it's oh so hard to live. And so in the next few moments, uh, I want to challenge us with an understanding that I hope will aid us in becoming those who will be self-controlled in a culture gone wild. Now again, uh, the Apostle Paul loved this word self-control, and he used it repeatedly throughout this little book of Titus. In Titus chapter 1, when he was talking to the elders, he told them that elders in verse 8 are to be self-controlled. He told the older men that we are to be self-controlled. He told the young women that they are to be self-controlled. And again, he talks to the young men today about being self-controlled. He has a bias for this word because in a very real way, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. It is something that God wishes to produce in all of his children. And again, Titus's culture on the island of Crete was a culture gone wild. How are God's people going to be different than the people of the culture? They're going to be self-controlled. How are we today to live different than our culture? We are to be self-controlled. So, sozo, no, so, thinking about an image, thinking about kind of a metaphor to carry the morning. When we were um, talking to the older men a few weeks back, I used this image. It was the idea of jumping a high bar. And the high bar is a standard that has been set. And so older men are continually trying to jump, see how high we can fly in holiness, that we may never completely clear the bar. By trying to be more and more like Christ, we actually become closer to the standard. So older men, we are to see how high we can fly. We are not to see how low we can go playing our old game of limbo. That's not what older men do anymore. We now do something different. So that was the image for older men. Last week and the week before, when we were speaking to the women, younger and older, we used the imagery of, of the bride of Christ. A bride is someone who is engaged in, and she can't wait for the wedding day. And so in the process, she's preparing herself and she's keeping herself pure and holy. And she's keeping herself focused on the day when he arrives. So we use this image to kind of backstop our discussion about women. Well, guys, young men, those who are 13 to 30, as I thought of an image of Jesus for you, the one that came to my mind is this one. A drill sergeant whose goal in your life is to break you down and build you back up and make you fit and disciplined and well-trained. How many guys are in the military here? How many guys have been in the military here? All right. For those of us who aren't familiar with what it's like to be spoken to by a drill sergeant, I want to invite a drill sergeant to come and join us. Would Sergeant Parker please come forth? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Sergeant Parker. I'll be assisting my commander here. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to be here assisting my uh, commander here on uh, self-control and the message that he's going to give us today. That the life that you used to have, that earthly life, is no longer with you. 
You are now recruits in Jesus' army. You are soldiers for Jesus now. Amen. Say that again, sir. Amen. Well, okay. Well. Self-discipline, i.e. self-control. The answer to discipline and control is self-discipline, self-control. You got self-control, it's good to go. Control automatic, all right? You have to have self-control to have control. Everything is best to be easy. But when you left home today, you was under your mother's care, but now you're under mine, okay? All right? I'm going to assist my commander here. The commander, he gets his word from the commanding general. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he gives his word from the commander-in-chief, God Almighty. Amen. Well, sir. Sir. Well, this is my good friend, uh, Parker, Lewis Parker, and he is also my bodyguard, so well, be careful. <laughs> Thank you. Stand down, soldier. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So in a very real way, Jesus Christ wants to be your drill sergeant. You see, his goal in our lives is expressed very well in Titus 2, verse 12. Just a few verses below what we're looking at concerning young men being self-controlled. And what Jesus Christ is doing here is he is training us. Let me ask you, do these words not sound like a drill sergeant? It means to give instruction with the intent of forming proper behaviors, habits of behaviors, there we go, to instruct, to train, to educate, to correct, to give guidance, and yes, even to discipline with punishment when necessary. Does that sound like a drill sergeant? Yes. Well, that is who Jesus Christ is in the lives of young men today. It's the backdrop we're going to use because what Jesus Christ is going to do is he is going to break us down. He's, he's going to teach us to renounce ungodliness and worldly lust. He is going to break us down from these evil habits that do not honor God to build us up, to live lives that are self-controlled. There's our word, upright and godly in this present world. Jesus Christ, in these next few moments, is going to use his words to teach you something called the fear of God. How many, how many uh, sergeants have come alongside somebody and said, my goal in your life is to teach you the fear of God. Well, this morning, my goal through the word of God is to teach you young men the fear of God. In order to do that, Jesus Christ wants you to understand something. And it's first and foremost this. Jesus commands young men your absolute complete allegiance your absolute complete allegiance he commands your respect and he commands your devotion take just a moment right now and let me explain to you what salvation is you know pastor bell i know what salvation is well let's talk about that because i want to bring to you right now something called the kingdom of god recruitment center how does one get into the kingdom of God? What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How does any of that play out? Well, we're going to use this backdrop to talk about what salvation is. 
And we're talking about the Kingdom of God Recruitment Center, and Jesus Christ himself is the primary recruiter. Notice what he said. He said this, I want you to come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus gives a general call, a general invitation to all. All can come to him. But notice those who he actually isolates will be the ones who will most naturally respond. It is those who labor and are heavily laden. He's talking about people who have been broken down by life. People who have tried really hard and all they are is wounded and hurting. Their plans are not working out. Their dreams are not working out. It seems like all of life is kind of caving in on them. Jesus said those are the ones who are most likely to come to him because those are the ones who find it the easiest to give up their former lives. You see, that's what it takes to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It requires you to repent of your sins, your former life, and to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. When you do that, he gives you rest. And this rest is eternal life. Okay, let, let's, let's connect the analogy here. Let's, let's talk about this just a little bit. Let's say you went into the uh, Armed Forces Recruiting Center. So there's this big sign, Armed Forces Recruiting Center. You walk in there, and you've got the Marines, you've got the Navy, you've got the Air Force, you've got the Army. All these people are there, and they're all saying, come to me. Come to me, you raw potential recruit. Come to me. They're all dangling you know, opportunities in front of you. And, and you, un, unknowingly what you're doing, most people don't really know what they're doing when they sign up, uh, you go over to the Army. And there, you're standing in front of the army place, and they're saying, hey, sign up with us. We'll help you see the world. Yes, one potato at a time. And so you, raw recruit, say, oh, okay. And you sign your name on the dotted line. Congratulations. You are now in the army. Now, let me ask you a question. Once you sign your name, can you go anywhere you want? Can you do anything you want? Can you be whatever you want to be? Now, once you sign your life over, they now own you, and they can do with you what they think is best. And how many military said amen? So too with the kingdom of God. When you come to Jesus Christ, he, the invitation's open to all. When you come to Jesus for salvation, he will give all who come to him the priceless gift of eternal life. But make no mistake about it. You will, all, you, you will also be required to turn over the control of your life to him. That is how that works. It works that way with the military. It works that way with the kingdom of God. You cannot choose where you want to live. You cannot choose where you want to go. You cannot choose to do what you want to do. And you cannot be what you want to be because you're now owned by someone else. There's an old little ditty somebody put together many years ago that kind of put it like this. I'll do my best. You're in the army now. You're not behind a plow. You'll never get rich digging a ditch. You're in the army now. How many are familiar with that song? 
Yeah, yeah. So you're in the army now. Congratulations. You're going to dig ditches. <laughs> I thought I was going to see the world. Yes. But you're going to dig through it to the other side to see China. Congratulations. You're now part of the United States military. So congratulations. You're now part of the kingdom of God. Because when we come to Jesus, we need to understand that this relationship with Jesus means we now take his yoke upon us. A yoke is an instrument used to unite two different animals together so that they will be pulling in the same direction. We don't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I believe in you. Here's my yoke. Follow me around and bless my life. No, it doesn't work that way. Hey, Jesus, I bring my life to you. Now yoke up with me and I will follow you and do whatever you want me to do. And so the idea is we will take his yoke upon us. And then he says, I want you to learn from me. This has the continuous present tense and it denotes the process of discipleship. It is the journey of growth and Christ-like change. So in the kingdom of God recruitment, in finding eternal life in Christ, you must give your life away. To be his disciple, his follower, his learner, means that you will now become disciplined. Disciple, discipline, they come from the same word. You now live a self-controlled life. You are to live a disciplined life. You are to live a life that is based upon the disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and tithing and sacrifice and service. You are to be disciplined by him so that you can honor him with your life. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul, from a, a more Roman mindset, says exactly the same thing is true about a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10, in chapter 10. He said this, You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So now your life is about glorifying God with your body. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you are to do all to the glory of God. Now Jesus approached this from a rabbi and a disciple relationship. The Jews understood that. The Apostle Paul approached this from a little different perspective because there were 50 million slaves in the Roman world. And so he says, what you have now is a master. And you're now his servant. The, the, the metaphors are different, but they're exactly the same. You're no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. Now your goal in life is to honor Jesus Christ when you enter into the kingdom of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay, so I shared with you, you're in the army now. You're not behind a plow. You'll never get rich digging a ditch. You're in the army now. Now here's one for the kingdom of God. Ready? I'd like to have us memorize this one of these days. Maybe we can kind of give it out. It goes like this. You're in the kingdom now. You cannot live just anyhow. His honor and glory are now your story. You're in the kingdom now. That's what we are. It's no longer our lives. When we come to Jesus, our lives now belong to him. And the purpose of our lives is to honor and glorify him, not to live any way we want. That's called AWOL in the military. They don't take that very kindly. And so, too, with Christ, he does not take that very kindly. So, some of you are sitting there thinking, Pastor Bill, I'm a little confused. You see, the person who recruited me to Jesus 
said all that I had to do was believe, and I would go to heaven. They never said that I'd have to give up my life and follow Jesus. Well, all I know to say to that is you're having one of those moments, one of these moments. I don't know what your recruiter told you, but Jesus Christ, quite frankly, doesn't care because you're now his and he's got you and he is going to make you fit. He is going to make you self-controlled. His goal is his glory in your life. And it's not about just giving you whatever you think you want. You see, many are called, but very few are truly chosen. Most people don't really appreciate and understand the call of Christ on their life. In Luke chapter 9, we have such a scenario playing out. It says, as they, Jesus and his disciples, were going along the road, somebody said to him, Jesus, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said, really? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you understand what you're saying? You're giving up the comforts of your own life and your own plans to follow me. Is that really what you want to do? To another one, Jesus said, follow me. And this person said, well, Lord, let me first go home and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, no. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Come to me and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. It's no longer our lives. Yet another said to him, I'll follow you. And Jesus, Lord, but let me first go and say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, what? What did he say? No. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It is not your life anymore. When you come to Christ, it now belongs to him. You see, you are in the kingdom now. You cannot live just anyhow. His honor and glory are now your story. You're in the kingdom now. So, a lot of people get a lot of surprising awakenings as they start to engage Jesus. What do you mean you want my life? What do you mean to go there? What do you mean I can't do this? I, I think of it a bit like this. Join the kingdom, they said. Have a good time, they said. Yeah, not so much. It is a call to die to yourself. It is a call to say no to your earthly passions. It is a call to say, I am all yours, Jesus. Does that sound like fun? Actually, on the other side of that, it is. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's incredible. But in the moment of dying to yourself, it is the worst thing on earth. But this is what Christ has called us to, especially young men. It is not your life to live any way you want. You are to live your life to honor the Lord who gave himself for you. In fact, it's not enough that you just follow him. He wants your heart. He, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate, that's strong. It means in comparison to your devotion and love for Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, it's Father's Day. I'm supposed to hate my father. In comparison to your love for Jesus, it should look like that. And my mother, not mom. I love my mom. 
wonderful. You should love your mom. But your love for Jesus should so supersede that it almost looks like hate. And your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters. Yes, and even your own life. I'm sorry you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. That means death. Death to self. He cannot be my disciple. So therefore, if anyone who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot ultimately be my disciple. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what Jesus is saying? He wants your absolute, complete allegiance. He has an absolute, complete call and claim on your life in exclusivity. He wants your heart so much so that every other relationship in your life looks like hate. You're in the kingdom now. You cannot live just anyhow. His honor and glory is now your story. You're in the kingdom now. Radical, radical difference in life. Radically different way of looking at things. Okay, I think a lot of guys really struggle with this whole concept of, of Jesus and submission to him and, and all. Because I'm afraid that most of us think of Jesus a bit like this. This is the Son of God from the movie The Son of God. Most of us have this, this image of Hollywood Jesus. You know, he's a pretty boy. He happens to be a white American. I don't get that part either, instead of a Middle Eastern. But so he's got this, this really flowing hair. He's got product in it. He's winsome to the women. He's winsome to the women. Oh, he's so cute. The guys are like, he, he's creepy. He, 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 I'm certainly not going to follow somebody who looks like that. He's got bleached white teeth. Look at this. That's weird. I bet he's got manicured fingers and probably Gucci sandals, but we can't see the sandals. So this is Hollywood Jesus. And, and guys are like, I could beat him up. I mean, what's the deal? I, I, I really have a hard time just submitting my entire life to a guy that I think looks like that. Well, let me help you reclarify your vision of who Jesus is. This might help you learn to fear him. Because... That was Jesus, mild, meek, and, 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 and just giving his life up in humility. But if you think that's who Jesus is today, you've got another thing coming. appreciate a man by the name of Mark Driscoll. He is a pastor up in uh, Mars Hill uh, Church in Seattle area. He is now in Trinity Church down in the Phoenix area. But he gave this incredible description of Jesus Christ today. Here we go. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. You ready? For some of you, your picture of Jesus is far too small. You see him as humble, marginalized, Galilean, hippie peasant, in a dress with product in his hair, open-toed sandals, crying a lot, giving out pithy statements and hugging sheep. Okay, let me submit to you that Jesus came in humility, he got off his throne, came into human history in humility. He died, rose in our place for our sins, ascended back into heaven. Today he's seated on a throne. And were you to see Jesus today, you would not see a humble, marginalized Galilean peasant. You would see King of Kings, Lord of Lords. 
it absolutely devastates me when Jesus is portrayed as just a, a teacher, a simpleton, a nice guy, a pithy Zen philosopher, the feeder of those who are hungry, or the encourager of those who are hurting. All of that is perhaps true. But if you don't understand Jesus as God, as King, as Lord, as enthroned, as ruling and reigning, as centerpiece of history, as centerpiece of scripture, as worship object and devotion subject, you've missed everything about Jesus. And here Jesus is portrayed in all his glory in a way that in particular the men can relate to. I was doing a television interview in Atlanta this week, and the guy asked me, he said, why do you think that men don't go to church? I said, because the picture of Jesus is a guy they could beat up. It's hard to worship a guy I can beat up. This Jesus, you can't beat up. You can't take him. Revelation 19, one of my favorite sections. Just bear with me. Verse 11, then I saw heaven open. Boom, there's Jesus. He gets a snapshot, the curtain is pulled back. And behold, a white horse, I love this. How many of you grew up watching Westerns? The good guy always rides the white horse, it's biblical. <laughs> the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You know, Jesus will never take a beating again. That was a one shot deal for salvation that is not an ongoing job for Jesus to take a beating. His eyes are like a flame of fire. I just love this. This is ultimate fighter Christ. A hip hop buddy of mine calls it Thug Jesus. He's a rapper. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He is the king of kings and he has many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He's wearing a white robe and around the bottom, it's perfectly clean except for a little bit of blood. This guy's curious. You see this guy and you realize he's wearing white and the only stains are blood. He could take me. That's the big idea. Some of you think, oh, Jesus, no big deal. I'm not worried about him. He's one of the many gods. There's lots of paths of salvation. You, my dear friend, are going to stand before this guy. You got to think about that and you've got to prepare yourself for that day. He goes on. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God, right? That scripture is the written word of God, that Jesus is the incarnate word of God and the armies of heaven, all of the angels arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. I've said this before. But anytime you show up for a fight and a guy's wearing white and the guys with him are all wearing white, they're fairly confident how that's going to go. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Yes, your sons should be able to play with swords. They should. My boys do. This is their life verse. Any boy who's three, four, five, if you read Jesus has a sword out of his mouth, they'll be like, I want to get saved right now. That's the altar call verse for a four-year-old boy. <laughs> and the armies of heaven, verse 14, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath 
of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. Jesus is all tatted up. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you see this picture? Tattooed up, King of kings, Lord of lords, white robe, sword out of his mouth, on a horse, riding in to open a can, all the armies of heaven with him. You better figure out what team you're on. That's my big idea. Jesus came in ultimate humility. Jesus came as, as the one who was meek and lowly. He was the king of kings and lord of lords who got off the throne, came onto the earth. He lived the life we were meant to live. He then died the death we were meant to die in our place to bring us back into relationship with himself and God the Father. When he died, he rose again the third day. Amen? And he is now risen to the right hand of God the Father, where today Jesus Christ is the exalted Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Sovereign of the Universe, and he's no longer going to take a beating by anyone. He is going to do the beating next. That's what the scriptures teach. So today, Jesus is seated on his throne, and they use this image to describe him. Today, he is the Lion of of Jesus is far too small. You still think of him as a shepherd with a little shepherd's crook begging people to come to him. That's not who Jesus is today. Jesus today is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and behind those whiskers are real teeth. He will devour anyone apart from him. Let me explain what the scriptures say about this one called Jesus, who is in fire, flaming fire like this. Notice what it says about those apart from Jesus. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. Do not be deceived. They will suffer eternal punishment or punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I just want to say this. If you are here today and you have yet to bend the knee to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do it quickly. Who knows the next opportunity God will give you to make that decision to give up your life, embrace his life with your life and follow him. Because if you don't, you will bend your knee and then he will devour you with eternal destruction away from the presence of the God. That doesn't mean that you will cease to exist. He doesn't do annihilation. He will eternally separate you from all that is good and all that is God. That is the fate awaiting those outside of Christ. That's why we're an evangelical church. That's why we believe the gospel is so important. That's why we keep creating these spaces for people to belong. Because people need Jesus. And apart from Jesus, they will die and they will go to hell under the vengeance and wrath of God. There are real teeth behind those whiskers. He's not just a cute little cat. 
He is not a tame lion, to quote someone. But for believers, he will not condemn us and he will not judge us. Amen? But for believers, may we never take him lightly. Because it says this in Hebrews 12, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. We never deserved it, but Jesus Christ invited us into it. That can ultimately not be shaken. And therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. And here's the words of fear that we are to have. Of reverence in awe, not judgment and condemnation. Those have been taken care of in the person of Jesus. But today we are to stand before the person of Jesus with reverence and awe, with a holy fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Don't play with Jesus. He bites and he bites hard. He takes his glory so jealously. He will do anything to ultimately get the upper hand in whatever relationship he's in because his glory and his honor are at stake. As a follower of Jesus, do not play games. Do not live however you think you can live and believe that somehow God's grace is just going to dump on you and you'll all be forgiven. Let me say this. God's grace is real. And he gives grace upon grace. God's forgiveness is real. And he gives forgiveness upon forgiveness to his children. But listen, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If you choose to sow to your flesh of your flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. If you choose to go a different way than the commander tells you to, there are consequences. Severe consequences. So, my goal today was to encourage you with a fear of God. Anybody want to get a picture? Pastor Bill trying to encourage the flock. <laughs> Let me explain to you how important this reverence and awe are in your life before Jesus. The Proverbs are filled with the truth. The fear of the Lord. He is a consuming fire. And while these whiskers look so soft and plentiful, there are real teeth behind this. The fear of the Lord is ultimately the beginning of knowledge. And it is fools, hear me, it is fools who will despise wisdom and instruction. There is a right way to live and a wrong way to live. There is a good way to honor God and there's a way to dishonor God. Do not be a fool. Do not be a fool. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true knowledge. Again, the Proverbs say this, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. We're talking about self-control. And we just join the world and run with the world. Sleep with our girlfriends. Sleep with our boyfriends. Have premarital sex over here and watch porn over there. Stop it. You're dishonoring the Lord. And he doesn't take it lightly. Show a little self-control. Guys, take a cold shower, okay? Find some accountability. Get married. But don't mock God. Let me share with you a quick little story, and then I'll be done. When I was a young man, I grew up in a home with three sisters and a dad who no, had no idea what it was to be a man. 
His father never showed him. He never showed me. I had no idea what it meant to be a man. So I, as I was growing up, I was kind of always watching, what, is, what does it really mean to be a, a man? And I remember many years ago, and I was quite young, I was watching TV, and I was watching something called the Phil Donahue Show. Some of you have a place marker for that. Many of you have no idea who he was. He was an old talk show host guy. And he was interviewing a sex and drugs rock and roll guy. And he was interviewing him. And he was, you know, all of a sudden, he goes, let me ask you a question. Uh, what's the lifestyle like? He goes, I'm faithful to my woman. I'm like, you're kidding, right? No. I'll never forget what this guy said. Mr. Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. He said this. Any old dog can run around inseminating other dogs. It takes a real man to satisfy and be satisfied with one woman. And I thought, that's what a real man is. He's not a dog running around just having fun. He is someone who takes seriously the commitment in his life, the responsibilities in his life to love his wife and to honor his God. That's what a man of God is. So show some self-control. It is a, a, a clear evidence that you have a fear of God and that you are his follower. Because without that, you aren't. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. The fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I'm going to end with this. This is the Christian's code of conduct. What does it mean in the military to have a code of conduct? There are certain things you do, certain things you don't do, and you should do the things you're supposed to do, and they will enforce them. Let me give you the Christian's code of conduct. I'll let you know the verse so you can write it down, so you can actually look at this later, but I'm going to read it. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Please listen. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is exactly how we are to live. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is the Lion of Judah. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For if you have died, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But in the meanwhile, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is actually idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming to destroy people. Why are you living like that? In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, including anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices, and you have now put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of your Creator. What does Jesus want for me as a young man? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That's what he expects for every recruit that's in his army. That's what he wants for every young man, older man, woman, young and old, to live like self-controlled lives. 
me close us in a word of prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to end our time sitting in His presence. Let's pray. Father, good, good Father, my prayer right now is for my brothers and sisters that as we have dabbled in the world and uh, loved the world and the ways of the world, we have dishonored you. I pray right now that in the quietness of this moment, you will bring to mind things that need to be repented of and turned from and to be given up for the sake of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for mercy and grace. We do not deserve it, but you know we need it. Because we are a fallen people living in a fallen world. Capture our hearts. Capture our minds. Because then and only then will we know the fear of the Lord and be able to live self-controlled lives. Help us as we leave here today to have a renewed